So um, I, um, I asked specifically for us to rearrange the order a little bit today. Today we're going to wrap up our series in Staying in Love. And we do have communion. And so this is by design. When we get a little bit later in the service, we're going to have a little bit more worship too. And so no, no disrespect meant to our children. Although one of the kids pointed out something to me today. He was all excited about his memory verse. And I said, I'm really, you know, I feel bad because we're not going to do that today. And he said, um, but the verse is, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. and I thought oh wow that's pretty cool so we might give extra credit for that particular verse next week but you know okay Proverbs today is the 7th so I dipped into Proverbs 7 which is almost one entire uh, continuous text Proverbs 7 hard to pick one out of there uh, without doing the whole thing but I picked one out uh, verses 2 through 4 do what I say and you'll live be as careful to follow my teaching as you are to protect your eyes Keep my teaching with you all the time. Write it on your heart. Treat wisdom as your sister and insight as your closest friends. So, um, you know, this series, uh, I've, I've tried to really stay sensitive to um, people's particular circumstances as we've talked about staying in love because at points the, the message kind of slewed towards a single person's approach and at times it definitely slewed towards a married couple approach. And there are a lot of people here that those aren't, um, where you are today in life. And um, yet I also believe that the, the underlying truths that we've been working our way through really apply to every relationship with every person. And uh, in some cases they apply more specifically, uh, but they always apply to how we love each other. And so I hope that there's a takeaway for everybody for this whole series, and especially with what we're going to talk about today. I think there's a takeaway for every one of you, and, and that is a couple of things. One is that this, this ancient book... This 2,000-year-old book <laughs> is um, still relevant. It's absolutely relevant to your circumstances today. And um, that relevancy should stir up something, a curiosity in the Word of God for you. So if, you're, if you haven't read the whole Bible, I just hope that, that, I'm, that we can stir some curiosity in, in you and that you will get into the Word of God. We started out some time ago with uh, talking about this movie, Juno, where this young woman asked the question, is it possible for two people to actually fall in love and stay in love, because when you look around out there, you just don't see a whole lot of it. It's fascinating, and I'll mention this a little later in the service. It's fascinating that Jesus would be able to look into today and say, it's by this that they will know that you're my disciples, that you actually love each other. An amazing application of Scripture that's very relevant. relevant. You know, Juno asked that question, because I think everybody is pre-wired by God. We get pre-wired. I believe, I believe it's the thumbprint of God upon us that you know, we believe that, yes, you can fall in love and you stay. And not only do I believe it, I believe it can happen for me. right? I think that's the thumbprint of God that's on our lives. We've talked about several things. I don't want to re-preach all those. You can get the messages. They're free on the website. We learned that you, have to, you need to learn how to make love a verb. It's not something you fall into. It's something that you practice and you put into practice regularly. We talked about um, Jesus' way, love the way that he did, and we don't get to demand our rights. Right? We talked about that. We uh, need learned to, to pay attention to our heart. We met last weekend this couple, Gabrielle and Gary Goblet, Gob, Goblet. And today they're going to be very careful not to spill their guts, their beads. I made a bit of a mess last week. By the way, I was out greeting people. I don't know who came in behind and cleaned up the whole area, but I came back later, and the beads were all put back together. It was really wonderful. 
And we learned that all of us have stuff in us that when we get bumped, it comes out. That's what the beads were representative of. We learned that last week. And, um, you know, in particular, that stuff that's in us, we call it baggage. It comes out mostly in the relationships of people that we're closest to. It's amazing how that happens. Today, I want to focus on a decision that every one of us makes every day. Every one of you makes every day. And um, it's something that you did intuitively when you first fell in love. But now you make decisions differently over time. I want to talk about that. And, um, and we're going to launch right into the message, into the, into the text today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians again. This is a letter written by Paul to the church at Corinth. It's known as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. There's a lot of verses in this passage, in these passages that are quoted a lot of times in weddings. Protestant weddings and Catholic weddings, they take a lot of, a lot of the, the, the vows and so forth, come right straight out of this passage. And it makes sense. This is a wonderful, flowery um, passage that comes through. And um, um, it, 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 it gets to the place where it, sa- it makes a lot of sense. But there's one verse that we're going to camp out on today, verse 7. When you get there, it's kind of like, wait a minute, what? I get this is the word of God, I can trust it all. But when we get there, we kind of partition it and say, <laughs> I don't know if that's even possible. And uh, it's really good advice. We get to verse 7 and we spend some time on it. And the truth is, it's great advice but I'm not sure um, that it's realistic, in fact. In fact, sometimes I'm not sure about it if, if I've ever given somebody advice that maybe was contradictory to this. We'll figure that out. I don't know. That's kind of scary. But you get to that verse, and you get four separate thoughts that, that are meant by Paul, let's just instead say meant by the Holy Spirit, to be put together into one cohesive concept, and we're going to explore that today. So, okay, First uh, Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4. Just follow along. Love is patient. Okay, I get that. Love is kind. Of course it is. It does not envy. Check. It does not boast. Okay, I don't need to brag. It's not proud. That's because pride can be a problem. It does not dishonor others. Okay, that's good. I don't want to dishonor the person that I'm with. That makes sense. It's not self-seeking. That's good because self-seeking works kind of against love. It's not easily angered. Okay, I'm getting all of these points that they make perfect sense. Keep going. It keeps no record of wrong. Hmm, I'm not not really all that good at that particular one because, I mean, I can still remember some stuff from a very long time ago, and a lot of it's pretty trivial, right? I mean, our memory has the ability to remember stuff. A lot of it's trivial. And, in fact, some of that stuff falls into the category of not of sin, but let's say immaturity, Right? Something that somebody's done to you or they've hurt you and they've wronged you, but it wasn't even, you know, it was immaturity. Immaturity is not sin. We, we understand that here, right? I mean, I can re- that stuff's recorded in there somewhere, sometimes too. Okay, back to verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. In other words, you celebrate the wins. You don't camp out on the problems and the missteps and the mistakes. Um, and, you know, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so we're doing good so far. This all is achievable, although challenging. It makes perfect sense. And if I want to have a long-term love relationship, I need to try to make this list priority. Makes perfect sense. Here I am going along. I'm just fine, and I'm heading, getting closer here. And then I get to verse 7, and here Paul does this thing where he takes a simple little Greek word. We read it as love. It's actually agape. Um, there are different words for love in the Bible. Agape is in there pretty frequently to describe the way God loves you and me. Very, this extensively throughout the New Testament, the word agape is in there. 
And he uses it four times. And he basically is climbing the exact same mountain from four different sides. And he's trying to, to, to give us one overall concept here. And he's using four different descriptors to get us there. It's, it's interesting. He's, 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 he goes on. Okay, let's, let's just read it. He says, talking about it, talking about love, he says, love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. The New King James says, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I look at that, and I think, really? I mean, really? Always believes? Always trusts, always hopes, always, I mean, I mean, come on, be honest. I mean, you look at that and you want to be able to do that. You think, wow, someday when I'm perfected, maybe if that can ever happen, I'll get some of that together. But I mean, really? I look at all those things, but that's what Paul, that's what the Holy Spirit says. That's what actually happens. I, re- I read that phrase and I think, you know, it's kind of, for me, an impossible request. I, or else this is wrong. I mean, <laughs> Because it sounds like we're supposed to like live life naive, or we're supposed to, you know, even be blind. I mean, not see some of the things that we see. You know what? Let's stop and pray for that baby. Can you hear that baby crying? <laughs> Don't know what's going on, but I know loving people have their hands on a child. But you know, Lord, would you just um, speak something of lo- sweet love to that little heart? And we don't know what's going on there. Maybe it just needs a diaper change. But Lord, whatever it is, visit that place with life. And God, while we're praying, let's just pray for those that are working. Fill them, Lord, with just blessing and reward, but sensitivity to your spirit, that when they look into those little eyes and they touch those little hands and they caress those little little cheeks and noses and ears, that, Lord, there would just be your hands that are going to work in there. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so... It sounds like when we read this, we're supposed to kind of like be naive. Just pretend we don't see what we see. We don't know what we know. Be blind to those kinds of things. And, you know, what about, what about if there's evidence to the contrary? What do I mean I'm supposed to believe all things? I've seen something that's pretty, pretty not trustable. What about that? You know, it's almost like we're describing codependency or something. I mean, it seems unhealthy. I mean, there's just problems. Paul's on to something, though, here. And he requires us not to parse this verse, but to look at the whole package and figure out what is he trying to say. So I'm going to kind of try and build for us a lens to look through and to see what's going, really going on here. Um, and maybe it'll clear up a little bit. Here's a starting place for us. In every relationship, there are gaps between our expectations and how people behave. There's a gap. Every relationship. In every single one. You know, I expected you to do something, but you did something else. Instead, I was hoping you would be, but you became something different. I mean, there was an agreement. You were going to do X, but you did Y. There's this gap. You all know what I'm talking about. It happens, happens in every relationship. And the thing is that our expectations and our hopes for those closest to us are grander and bigger than for those with whom we have a more distant relationship. So there's these gaps. You know, now, I don't want any elbows in the next couple of minutes. You know, you said you'd be here by 4, but you got here at 4.30. You said you'd help out with the dishes, but there they sit. There's, uh, you said, I'll never do that again, but look at what you're doing. I mean, <laughs> these gaps, gaps, gaps. In every rela- relationship that we have, there's these gaps that go on. 
Sometimes we see this huge gap between what was said at the marriage altar and what's going on repeatedly. Or, um, (laughs) you know, the gaps can be deep, they can be shallow, they can be specific, they can be general. I mean, they're just all over the map. I've got all, they wrote down all these examples, you know, that I was making up as I was going along here. They're just all over the map. You said you'd pick the kids up on Wednesdays, but it's Wednesday, and now you call me again, you send me a text, and you said you'd make dinner, but you didn't, and you're with your sister, and now you tell me, pick it up. You know, gap, 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 okay? <laughs> you said you'd pay the national bills, but you haven't paid the bills. Gap, 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 gap. <laughs> I know you were hoping for an hour of not having that in the news, and I apologize for crashing into your hour of peace. <laughs> And a lot of those, and it happens in our romantic relationship, it's, it's generally based upon some sort of a promise that we think we've heard. Sometimes we have heard it, or it's an arrangement. Sometimes we bring things to the marriage or to the intimate relationship, you know, but my mama always did it this way. You know, my mother did it this way, and I'm married to you, and I expect you to cook it that way, and, but I'm not your mother. You know, that kind of stuff that goes on. I haven't heard that in my house, but I've heard of it. And <laughs> so there's all these expectations and all these gaps. And every single time that there's a gap, you and I fill that in with something. We fill that gap with something. Every single time. In every gap, we put something. We either believe the best. <laughs> See how I've cleaned up my act up here, no spilling beads. We either believe the best or we assume the worst. We fill the gap with something we believe the best or we assume the worst. Every single time that there's a gap, we fill it with something. Every single time. Mentally, something goes on up here. We start doing the calculations on what we see and what we expect and there's these little things that start going. Our little wheels start turning. Okay, so our circumstances, she's busy and we had some expectations and so we think to ourselves, you know, She's always got something going on. I'm sure that there's a really good reason why she's not here. I, I, I believe the best about her. Or, you know, the budget's messed up at home again. So she's thinking, well, there's a lot going on at work. He's distracted there. And he probably just had no idea. And he just probably just didn't realize what's going on, and, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to do what I can to take some of this weight off. That's believing the best. Or, you know, Bill's messed up. He's no good with money. He's never been good with money. His daddy was no good with money. His granddaddy was no good. He's never going to amount to anything, and i got to take care of everything. Is that high enough? Can you read what that says? That's assuming the worst. We all put something in the gap every single time. It's just a fact of life that there are going to be gaps and it's human nature to, to explain the gap one way or the other. We all put something in there. And there are two things that help determine what you are going to personally put in that gap. You do it over and over again all day long. Two things that help you decide what to put in, in your mind. Two things. What you see and who you are. Those are the two things that go in that gap. What you see. He hasn't shown up yet. It's what I see. He said he'd be here, he's not here. 
It's what I see. That goes into what goes into my mind, that fact. And then the other part of that is who you are. We all come to this relationship with our beads. I'm going to grab it, but I'm going to be careful not to make a mess today. I spilled them on the floor when I was filling the cups up, and, you know, beads are messy. It's just the way it goes. But we come into our relationship with our beads, with our baggage, with the issues, with, with our less-than-perfect experiences because life is not perfect, and we just bring that stuff with us. So it's what you see and who you are that combines somehow to decide what you package and stick in the gap. Bad relationships in the past that have affected us, sometimes infected us, have affected us. Or, and, then, and it doesn't take very long for what your spouse or your spouse's response to trigger what you've experienced with previous people in your life. You know, you, you, you have this very similar, and bang, it kind of reminds you of something, and off go the wheels, and down you go down that pathway. So what determines what you put in your mind depends on what you see. And the other thing that determines that is who you are. Your experiences, your hurt, your pain, your joy, what you saw growing up, your fears of abandonment, your fears of growing up. I mean, all of those things help us decide what we see and who we are impacts which sign we hold up because we either believe the best or we assume the worst. And as soon as... You know, as you get the text that says, hey, I can't do what I said because, immediately, as soon as you get there, can you pick the kids up instead? As soon as you get there, where do you go? Now, I I do want to just take a sidestep here for a second and say that I know that there probably are some of you that could say, hey, Terry, fine, but you know, let me come on up there and tell you about my experience because you haven't heard the stories about, about that. And you know, I'm, I get that. I want you to know that in my role you know, in ministry, I hear a lot of stories. I hear people's experience. And I don't mean to be insensitive about this, but I want you just to hold those, those concerns because I know there's a real world. That I know that there's some real things going on, but I want you to follow me and stay with me until you get to the end of the message because I think that'll help bring some context. So, but here's the question. Now, I'm not saying it's not justified the way you react. I'm just asking the question, where do you go? Where do you naturally, mentally go when expectations don't match with what you see? Where do you go? Sometimes it's hard to see where we go. It's hard to grasp our nature. And as I've been preparing this, I've been noticing myself going one way when I ought not to go that way. I notice myself sometimes assuming. I mean, you know, it's an interesting dynamic preparing to teach because I know the Lord's working me over on this about the times that I assume the worst. We were, there was a topic this week that Lisa and I were talking about, and I won't go into the details because it's not pertinent, except to, my confession to you to say is that, you know, I assumed not about her, but about another family member. I was disappointed in something, and I had a quick reaction, and of course I want the best for this person, and I was disappointed. And after I kind of reeled in the emotion, I got my act together, I think a little better on that topic, and went back and revisited the topic. But where do you naturally go? Might not be the same direction all the time, but where do you naturally go? Well, I would just say this that people 
who learn to love well and to stay in love, they learn to do this. Either intuitively or you learn it by practice and by effort. And here's something else about those people. When, when they learn to love and they learn to fill the gap with believing the best, they learn to come up with a very generous explanation about what's going on. A generous explanation. You know, if you go find some people who are crazy in love, they're around, and you see them discussing the things that are going on, you're going to find out that those people are very, very generous with their explanation when they, when they see those gaps. You'll just find that. In their mind, they came up with an explanation, and the explanation they came up with was really generous. It was big-hearted about their spouse. Um, I, I, I've got this leadership book that I've read. It was a bestseller. It's, you know, it's a leadership book. It's, it's called The One Thing You Need to Know by a guy named Marcus Buckingham. And it's not a book about relationships, and it's not a spiritual book. It's a leadership book that you would take if you were in business or read in business and so forth. And I think it's good to read books. Um, and um, so he's, he's got this theory that he espouses, and it's a pretty good one. Um, it's it's worth, worth taking a look at. And it's called The One Thing You Need to Know. And the idea is this, that in every discipline in life, if you study the people who are successful in that discipline, you'll find out that there's one thing that you need to know. And if you can learn that principle and apply it, you'll succeed. You'll get a level of success in that discipline. Okay? So admit it now, this is not a book about marriage or relationships, but he, he, he starts out with, with an illustration to, to, to make his case about the one thing you need to know. And so he decides to study, this, he cites this case about marriage. And he's not, uh, he's not a social psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything, but he cites this study. Now, um, I, uh, it's an amazing study that I went and found and downloaded. But let me give you a little bit of background about, about the topic of social science. For the last hundred years or so, um, you know, people who figure out how people behave and why they behave, they've had an a- approach to study that went something like this. If you want to learn why people do things they do, you go and you find the negative expression of it. Study the negative, and when you learn what causes the negative, you inverse the results, and that produces the positive. That was the thinking. So, for example, if, if you, uh, you want to keep your kids off drugs, go study a drug addict, find out what triggered it, what caused it, and don't do that. Do the opposite. Or if you want kids to stay in school, go study truants. Go study kids who have dropped out, find out why, and then fix that. And that, that's been the approach for the last 100 years or so. Probably only in the last 20 or 25 years have social scientists started thinking, you know, we ought to take a look at the success cases too because we might find a different, different deal. So, so this is an example of that because in the past, if you were to study um, people who had been divorced, and, and there's a rich body of studies about people who've been divorced, um, you would find from the previous studies or from, from even from current studies, what was the predominant thing that was present for people who've been divorced, you'd find that there were just huge misunderstandings about what the other person was like. I thought, they were, I thought that I was marrying this, but I found out I was marrying that. And there would be huge misunderstandings. That's predominant. It's not, it's not 100% of the cases, but as you study this, that was the one predominant thing that you'd find out about divorces, studying the negative. So, 
The thinking is this. If people who have predominantly been divorced because they really didn't understand who the person was, the way you avoid that, the way you stop from being divorced, is you make certain you know and you're realistic about who it is you're married to. You've probably heard this. Know the person you're married to and be realistic about it. And, and that all makes perfect sense. It makes perfect, it just, it just seems to make logical sense. So the idea was that you get a really deeper understanding and you're very realistic and you say, well, my husband is no good with money. He'll never be any good with money. Let's just admit that and um, we'll compensate. And so that was the recommended approach from the inverse study process. Okay, I'm getting way too big of words. Um, <laughs> stay awake, please. Wake back up. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that was what you find if you study that out. And I'm sure you've heard these philosophies in one way or another, somewhere along the line. So, that's, so, so as this group of, of scientists that did this study that, I, that I'm going to give you, they didn't take that approach. They didn't take the study the negatives. They instead decided to go find some really happily married people and find out why. That's pretty cool. I like that idea. And it wasn't a study. There were social scientists from all all kinds of different places. Five or six different major universities at different times were doing different studies. Um, From New York, there was one in British Columbia, and everywhere in between. And they were thinking that they were going to find this realistic view was why they were happy. Because that's what the previous approach would have predicted. But here's what they found. It was almost the exact opposite. They found from really... Now, when I say happily married couples, I'll qualify this a little bit. They were people who had been married for 10 years or longer in in the average. And um, they measured happiness based upon a whole list of different qualities of relationship, okay? And it took a lot to get into the very happy category. And they had lots of studies, so they had lots of big, broad base, and, and so that's what we're talking about for really happily married people. They thought they were going to find what I talked about before, but they found this. Instead, they found this. These people had a very unrealistic view of each other. An unrealistic view is the way they describe it. They gave, they gave a guy a, a questionnaire, and they would say, um, rate yourself in these different qualities. And the guy would rate himself somewhere in those qualities. When they gave the same questions to his mate, rate him in these qualities, she conti- consistently rated him significantly higher in those qualities than he rated himself. And vice versa. It was true of both. For the very, very happy couples who had been happy for a good long period of time, they consistently had um, a skewed perspective of each other that was overly generous, overly positive from what they realistic. The guy really was no good with money. She viewed that he was. The guy really, she really couldn't get any place on time. He really viewed like she always was, right? <laughs> I mean, unrealistic perspectives. Remarkably, these people did not have have a good view, uh, have a realistic view of each other, and they were opposite results from the inverse expected results. Here were three fascinating statements from these studies that came out. Um, one, the spouse's positive illusion, illusion, interesting word there, illusion, right? 
<laughs> it's a view of something that's not real. The spouse's positive illusion created an up- upward spiral of love. So now, before you think this is weird, <laughs> I'm going to remind you, this is exactly the way you behaved when you first fell in love. <laughs> right? It is exactly what you did. You fell in love, and you were all starry-eyed, and you told your mom and your dad about this guy or your friends, and they said, yeah, but he's a da-da-da. And you said, I don't care. He's so... (laughs) Right? (laughs) And then the girls were even more flowery than that. (laughs) Thanks for getting the joke, Eric. Way to go. Um, And you don't have pink on. By the way, I heard the comment last week about our pink shirts. You said mine was pink and yours was salmon. It was pink, uh, sam- pink salmon, wasn't it? The pink, okay. Thanks, you, honey, for getting that joke. I'll be here all week. Okay, so and this is something that you did when you first got married. You did that. You had this spiral, this growing spiral. It was based upon illusions in some part. But here's what the study said. The illusion led to conviction. In other words, he really is this way. The conviction led to security. Because he's this way, it's okay for me to be with him. That security fosters intimacy. Relational intimacy and relational intimacy fosters love. It's a perfect, perfectly understandable sequence. Okay, I'll just leave that for now and you can kind of let that chew, stew and do it. Okay, second point. A husband or wife that assumes his spouse possesses strengths that she think that she doesn't think she has is evidence of a strong relationship. In other words, if you find a couple and the guy says she's a nine on these things, but she really doesn't believe that, she thinks she's a four, that's an evidence of a strong relationship. Just a statistical fact that they came up with. But I find it fascinating. Okay, the study's advice. The advice they give, okay, we've studied happy couples. Here's what you do if you want to be happy. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behaviors. You find it, you think it up, you create it, whatever it is, the most, most generous way, and then believe it. She's not impatient. She's just intense. <laughs> He's not insensitive. He's just focused. You think up the most generous explanation for what you see and just adopt it. In every relationship, there's a gap. And every single time, you choose what you're going to put in that gap. The study says this. Every single couple who is happily married fills the gap with a generous explanation. This is a secular study. This really helps me to begin to get verse 7 into somewhat of a different focus. I saw it as an insurmountable bar. I could never do those things. And then I see the study, this worldly study that says, hey, happily married couples do this. They aren't this. They do this. Did you, did that make sense? It's not that they already came that way. It's not that they came as, as optimists. So where do you go? Do you like real quickly, just right, right, right out the gate, skew into the negative? You know, what's your choice? And I, I know you've got a story, and I know you have experiences, and I'm not discounting that, but you still you make your choices. We make our choices with which direction we're going to go. And with all that in mind, I want to reread um, verse 7. I still find it extraordinarily powerful after a couple thousand years. 
And, um, you know, your circumstances, I don't know um, in, in general, but, you know, your circumstances, your, 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 your conditions there, you could be serious headed towards critical. I, I don't know. And maybe the passion is just not what it was and what it needs to be and what it should be. And maybe some of you are saying, you know, so I just, we just don't believe in divorce, so we're just going to get it out, and, um, but there's no fire. I want to say this may be, this could possibly be the one thing that saves your marriage or the thing that it reignites the fire and the passion in your marriage. So I just say that because we can take on sometimes a cycle of negativity that then feeds upon itself relationally. We start having broken hearts, you know, unmet expectations. I like to say that unmet expectations is the mother of all disappointment. And so we get disappointed and that disappointment then can create the next expectation that's negative and it can just spiral on us. It can just go there. And you know the thing is, you can be right about that. You can be right about the stuff you're saying. Next month, checks are going to bounce again because he's not going to be responsible. You can be right about the facts. In fact, you can choose to go through your relationship life winning all these arguments and being right on all these points. You can choose that, and you will be right on all of those points. And you win argument, argument, argument. But what you lose is, is the war. What you lose is the most important relationship that God has ever planned for you besides the one with himself. That's what's at stake. So it's your choice every single time you decide which sign you're going to put up in your mind. Okay, let's go back to 1 Corinthians and read the passage again. Starting in verse 7. It, love, always protects. It always protects the integrity of the relationship. I'm not looking for ways to hurt the relationship. I'm looking for ways to protect it. I'm looking for ways to keep love alive. It always trusts. It always hopes. Now, so if there's something that I just don't know, I just say, hopefully there's something I just don't know about this, and I'm probably get some facts later, but I'm gonna, I, I, I really expect it'll be fine. It's right. I'm not going to give up. It uh, always hopes. It always perseveres, always looking for the good. So how do you do th- on this question? You know, where do you naturally go? Maybe one of you is really good at it and the other person's not so good at it or maybe this person, you know, one of you always cuts the other person a lot of slack and the other one has no tolerance at all. Where do you go? And the reason I ask that question is because, you know, I want to say this to you, strap on your seatbelt because where you go, when you choose to assume the worst, even if you have plenty of history to back you up, when you choose to assume the, assume the worst, you've contributed to the demise of your relationship. And I know you have a study and a, a story, and I know it's justified. And I know that even when there's a history involved, when you just decide to assume the worst, you have, with your response, with your tone, with your gasp or your moan or your, you know, whatever, whatever, that you respond when you choose to assume the worst. Even when it's justified, you become a participant in weakening and helping to erode the love that's there. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I believe to be a truth about your spouse. I just believe this to be true. 
the last thing that they want to do ever is disappoint you. I mean, we have behavior and response and we, 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 we do the things we do and we make mistakes, but nobody really wants to disappoint their mate. Nobody really wants to do that. And when you go negative, no matter what they do, pretty soon they start thinking they'll never measure up. There's no way to reach the bar. And um, the opposite is when you fill the gap with believe the best, it creates margin. It creates headroom. It It creates some safety. It's like the beads are not at the very top of the jar. And when the bump comes, they don't come spilling out. That's margin. When you believe the best... If you have consistently, uh, one other thing about margin, when you have margin, the, the natural response for the person is to want to draw closer to you. When you have consistently assumed the worst, there's one other factor that seems to crop up, and that is something of fear. The other person can become afraid of you. It's like, you know, they, they don't want to answer the phone call because they know they've made a mistake because they don't want to disappoint you, and they just don't want to deal with it. They can, there can actually become f- fear that they can never measure up. But when you believe the best, you're communicating, I trust you. I believe in you. I trust you. I believe in you. Let's rephrase that. Come my way. Come here. Come here closer. Honey, I'm running late. That's okay, honey. Take your time. I'll be here. Some of you, if you said that to your wife, that's okay, honey. Take your time. I'll just wait. She'll go, (laughs) who stole my husband? (laughs) Margin. Margin. Honey, come here. Come this way. You know, I I want to find, I want to build, I want to dig out and craft all of the margin I can in my relationship. I want my wife to feel the ability to grow and to become in spite. I want my marriage to be the best place possible for mistakes. Not because I want mistakes there, but I want to craft an environment that when they're there, it's safe. That's what love is. It believes, it trusts, it endures, it perseveres. And I'm not telling you not to have the hard conversations that you need to have sometimes. I'm not trying to be blind and naive here. When those conversations need to happen, you have them. Lovingly, you do what you do. That's Nothing I've told you negates the fact that you have to be real about life. But there's an attitude at work here. There's a belief structure. There's an environment, environment building um, that I'm talking about here. And there's an opportunity to draw your partner's heart towards you like it was at the beginning. It doesn't have to stop just because time has gone by. It really doesn't have to be that way. The problem is, it's, I'd like to ask the band to come up now. The problem is that, you know, if you don't choose to build this environment, he might come home but when he comes home from work, his body shows up, but his heart isn't there with him. With, and, and, and you have the body, but not the heart. <coughs> the reason I've asked him to come up is because we're going to receive communion now, and uh, we're going to worship a little bit more. And I think for some of you, I would say, you know, this thinking is a little bit revolutionary. 
For some of you, it's, um, you know, you're going to make some choices on your way home today about what you're putting in the gap is going to change. Or maybe when you get home, or maybe tomorrow. I mean, you're going to be making some choices. And I want to say to you that happy couples have learned to believe the best. Happy couples have learned to believe the best. best. And now this is important, not just because you'll be happier in your relationship, but I'm going to give you a couple other reasons why this is important. One is that um, we have an entire generation of children. Their friends at school and in the world, most of them have never seen a happy marriage. And we have the opportunity, with our children especially, to build into them something that will last, something that will reflect God's love, something that will bring them joy and a happy life. That's one opportunity. But I think, I mean, that's one, one, one big deal. But there's something that is, is maybe even more powerful in my heart about this, and it has to do with evangelism. There is nothing that speaks louder to the world than our marriages. Nothing speaks louder to the world than our marriages. When you can demonstrate this thumbprint issue actually succeeding, you know, um, I think it's our best opportunity to impact culture. Jesus mentioned it in John 13. Basically, he said, by this, they will know that you're my disciples. By the way you love each other. By the way that you love each other. I am. I want to tell you one quick story, and then I'm going to let you go. I think this request that the Lord is making of us, that we fill the gap differently, that we fill the gap with believing the best, I think that for a lot of us, it's like go climb a mountain. And I want to encourage you in a couple of things. One is you don't have to do this in one step. You don't have to do this in one step. Here's the story that goes along with this. Um, when I was younger and more impetuous, I climbed this mountain. Um, and I did it by myself. It was a solo thing. And it was... It wasn't like Mount Everest or anything. No, I don't want to build this into something bigger than it was. But it was significant, and it was dangerous. And um, doing it by myself was not wise. And, but there just was something in me that was just going to press to the top. And I started very early in the morning and left my family behind. And, um, and as, I, as I was climbing this mountain and going and working, and I was motoring and just moving my way up this, this mountainside, it was foggy and I couldn't see the summit. And uh, I would push, and I was in pretty good condition, and I pushed for quite a ways, and I could see a ridge, and I thought, surely when I get to that ridge, I'll be able to see the summit. I'm getting close. And I pushed, and I made that ridge. And the fog wouldn't let me see the summit, but I could see up there ahead of me another ridge. And I thought, well, I'm, surely that's going to be it. And I pushed, and I got to that next one. And it's still foggy, and I still couldn't see. And I would honestly, without exaggerating, say that I went through that exact same scenario maybe seven, eight, nine, ten times. And it took me all of those times before I finally got to where I could see the summit and I summited this mountain. And I was quite a ways above the tree line and, and uh, it was pretty isolated up there. And I was really glad that I had made the summit. I mean, that's where I was headed. That's what I'd been trying to do the whole time. But I know this about myself. I think if I had been able to see the summit from one of those earlier hills and 
realized how far it was, I wouldn't have done it. My flesh would have just said, this is too hard. And I really truly to this day, and I believed it back then, believed that it was a gift from God to fog that mountainside in that day. Because there was something he wanted to forge in Terry to push to the summit. Here's something I believe this is prophetic that the Lord would say to you today. That as you start out on this climb, which to you might feel like a mountain, the Lord will enable you for what he's calling you for today. He'll he'll call you to do something today. That's it. Just go where he's calling you today. He'll give you what you need today. Tomorrow is something different. And for tomorrow's strength, he'll give you what you need tomorrow. You don't need tomorrow's strength today. He'll give you what you need today. And the Lord will lead you where he wants you to be in your relationships. Okay? Can you receive that? I want to say to you, um, church... Put a, paint a smile on your heart and love the people around you. It's good to have you in the church. I love you all. Thanks for uh, standing with me through this series. God bless you. And when you go pick your kids up today, thank them for whatever they did with that little child that needed the prayer, right? Okay? God bless you. See you next week.